we'll go ahead and jump in now this morning. Can you, um, can you picture the scene? I know we've talked about it a few times, but getting ready for Holy Week, the disciples didn't know what that meant. They had no idea what they were getting into in that moment. They just knew that they were entering into Jerusalem, and the crowds are waving the palm branches, shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, meaning save us, save us, Lord, save us. We pray, right? That's what they were shouting out is that we want you to save us. Now, I remember as a little boy, I would get like when I go to church on Palm Sunday, getting a little palm branch. Did anyone else like get one of those? When you were getting quite a few of you. All right. So I thought I was getting a palm branch. I never got a palm branch. I got a palm leaf. They only gave me a leaf. They gave me one leaf of the thing. They said it was a palm branch, but that was not true. The palm branch would have lots of leaves on it. And even at that, I can't believe they would let me play with this thing because I would wave it around. I was way too exuberant, right? And so I'm snapping it every time. And then so I'd shift my hand up and I'd wave it until I had like a little nub that I'm just kind of, you know, and that was me, right? I was that kid. Uh, Kristen, I was talking to Kristen Legato yesterday and she said, no, what she would do is she'd sit in church with hers and reach it up and tickle the ear of the person in front of her. Yeah, that's what she would do. And so probably you were the good kid. You didn't do any of that. I was a bad kid. But in, in all honesty, I think it was Good Friday that really caused this place of crisis for me and my spiritual journey. Because you've got Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday leads up to Good Friday, right? Good Friday is the day that Jesus was tried and he was crucified, the day that he was placed in the tomb which then ended up leading to Resurrection Day Easter. But if all of that is true, and if Jesus is who he says he is, then that means that Jesus is the only way to God. And maybe you've never struggled with this, but early in my Christian journey, that was the thing I struggled with most. Jesus, the only way to God. Maybe it's because I was cynical, I don't know, but I was the guy who would sit in Bible studies and, and argue with Christian leaders and say, wait a second, so you're saying that that's true. It seems so exclusive. That's why I say it sounds so exclusive because, and it sounds honestly pretty egotistical, right? Kind of arrogant to say like Christians have it right. The whole rest of the world for thousands of years has had it wrong. And you're pretty comfortable saying that. Like I was really struggling. And again, maybe you've never struggled with that. Maybe you have struggled with that. But I really came to this place. I, I came to the place of just flat out asking, are you saying that the worldview of Christianity is that if I don't place my faith in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, that there are eternal consequences? That was my question. So today we're going to end this sermon series. We've been in this sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount for months now, and we're ending the series today. And what we're going to find is these words that Jesus says right at the end of the sermon really go to answer that question that I was struggling with. He's the one who answers the question. He talks about how he is the narrow gate. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Our big idea is this today. Our choices do have eternal consequences. Our choices have eternal consequences. If you're joining us for the first time, I know some of you, you're here for the baptism and you're jumping in on our last day of a series that we've been in for months. Let me do a quick recap. Jesus selected 12 individuals, these 12 disciples, and he said, I'm calling you to follow me. He said to them, I believe that you have what it takes to live like me, to love like me, to forgive like me, to, to be me to the world. So come follow me. And they didn't know what that meant, right? To be Jesus, they had no idea. He hadn't healed the sick, the lame, the blind at that point. 
So he takes them and they sit down on the side of a hill. And sitting on a hillside, Jesus starts to teach them what it's going to mean. And I'm going to tell you for thousands of years now, we've been struggling with what Jesus said. So oftentimes what we do is we misread the words of Jesus. Not because it's so hard to understand. We misread the words of Jesus because the calling is so high. And so what we've done through thousands of years, we'll take the words of Jesus and we water it down. We take the words of Jesus and we try to explain it away. Well, he really didn't mean that. We take the words of Jesus and we say, well, let's keep this part, but let's throw this part out. That's what we've done over and over and over again. And so Jesus is teaching the disciples in this place in a way that says there are eternal consequences to the decisions you make. So again, that Palm Sunday, I think it's so fitting that we finish this series today because Palm Sunday was kind of a a flip-flop day, wasn't it? The crowd shouted out, Hosanna, 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 and the highest just days later, they flipped and they started to shout out, crucify him, crucify him. And the thing is, church, we do the same thing. I mean, different, but we do the same thing. You know what we do is we say, I love Jesus, yes, I do, and so I'm going to follow Jesus, except for this part that he's called me to. I don't want to do that because that's really hard. That's really difficult, so I'm going to ignore that part. We pick up our Bibles, and we'll read our Bibles, and we'll say, oh, the part about eagles' wings, man, I love that. Not growing weary and running. I love that strong tower, refuge, hiding place. Amen. Preach it, brother. But the time we start to get into generosity and forgiveness, all of a sudden we start to squirm, don't we? And we want to take that stuff and throw it out and say, well, he really didn't mean that. And so we today, we are still in this flip-flopping process, no different than the crowds from 2,000 years ago. And so Jesus, in essence, finished his sermon in Matthew 7, 12. Look at verse 12. He said this. He said, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Which is really cool. It's really cool that he does that because he ends the whole sermon by answering the question that he asked at the beginning of the sermon. At the beginning, he said, what kind of righteousness, what kind of life, what kind of faith does it take to enter into God's kingdom, to enter into his family? So Jesus says, so how, how do you have this right standing that's greater than the Pharisees, that's greater than the scribes? to enter into God's family. What does that look like? And here he answers. He says, you have to love God, but you have to love God so much that the overflow is that you also love people. Let me go real slow just for a moment. He means, just so I'm clear, he means all people. People that don't look like you. People that make different life choices than you. People who don't agree with, you know, people who belong to that other political party. Like he's talking about those people. You have a responsibility to love those people. And I probably could do a whole sermon series just on that one single topic, couldn't I? If I want all y'all to leave, like I could do that. <laughs> like I could do that. That would make everybody mad, right? But, but that's what he's saying. He's saying we have to love people. And then verses 13 through 27, verses 13 through 27, he ends, he concludes by giving the disciples four choices. Have you ever as a parent, like, given your kids four choices? But, like, you're really not giving them any choices. You're saying, like, there's one choice. That's what Jesus does right here. He gives them four choices. But essentially, he's saying, are you with me or are you against me? Are you going to follow me? Yes. Or are you going to follow me? No. That's the choice. That's where we're at. And so I want to recognize something. I want to recognize that I'm, I'm preaching to the choir today. Like, you're here. It's 10 o'clock on a, on a Sunday morning. You got up. Was it still snowing when you guys drove in? Because rain okay that's better than so so it's snowing when we drove at whatever time i don't even know what time 
six-ish. At six-ish, it was snowing, and so here you are in the rain, in the chilliness, when you could have been under your covers, I'm preaching the choir. I get it, right? You love Jesus, and that's why you're here. And so I just, I want to acknowledge that, but I think as Jesus is teaching, he kind of forces us into this really heavy question of, but do we really? Right? Do, do, we, do we really follow Jesus, or did we just come to church? Like, is they're not the same. Do we really follow Jesus? Here's how you can know. Here's how you can know if you're really following his way. One, you have to choose the right road. Look at verse 13. Matthew 7, 13, Jesus says this. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, church, the narrow gate is not a what. The narrow gate is a who. The narrow gate is Jesus. We know that he is the gate. He teaches us also in John 10, 9, uh, that, that we are the sheep, that he is the shepherd and he's the gate. In John 10, 9, he says, I'm the door, synonymous with gate there. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to still kill and destroy. I came that they can have life and have it more abundantly. So imagine in your mind a corral. If you're not like a, a cowboy or cowgirl type, like a, a circular wooden fenced-in area, you know, like cowboy movies where you go ride your horse around just in little circles, a corral. Every corral has a, has a gate, doesn't it? And you take your horse in and ride it around, do horse things, and then you take your horse out, and then you let the livestock in. They go do cow things, right? And they run around in the corral. Well, back in the first century, oftentimes the corral, it could be wooden. It could be built out of wood. But oftentimes, if you were out in the field, you would find a place where the rock would make that same kind of shape, that corral kind of a shape. And so the shepherd would move all of the sheep into that area, and he literally would lay himself down. Can you see this in your mind? He would lay himself down as the gate. The sheep could come and go and find pasture or find security and safety. We know that as followers that Jesus is the gate. We only enter the kingdom of heaven through Jesus Christ. It's through faith in Jesus that we find that secure place. Now, at first glance, Jesus says that, you know, many find a broad road and it leads to a path of destruction. I want to pause there just for a second because I think oftentimes we're thinking eternity heaven and hell, right? And so destruction meaning hell, and the, the road is wide that leads to that place of destruction. Can we just admit here, though, I mean, we're, we're getting smarter, I think, like we're, we're gaining some intelligence as we work our way through life. Isn't it true that there's people in here right now, maybe it's you, that that, road, that wide road, you found that wide road, and it's not just destruction at the end of times. It's not just eternity that we're talking about. You found destruction today. And maybe you're sitting here and you're going, my life is full of wreckage. It's kind of a mess right now because I didn't choose the narrow road of Jesus. I chose, I want to do life like everyone's telling me to do life. I want to do what seems like the easy thing. And maybe you're here today and you could testify that that road is not easy. You end up in a fiery pile of wreckage at the end, and you're like, it is not the easy road. We need to choose the way of Jesus. 
right? That other road, it's never going to lead to a place of health. You think that you're having fun in the moment. You think that it's good in the moment, but it never, ever ends well. We see it time and time again. So we all have a choice to make. Do you choose that wide road or the narrow one? Do you choose Jesus? Do you choose the gate? So I want to give you an illustration real fast because back to my own struggle. My struggle was the exclusivity of the gospel, that it seemed like Christians were trying to say, we have it right, the whole rest of the world has it wrong. It just seemed so arrogant, and I was looking for a way to explain it. And I think this might help some of you this morning. Imagine you have a child, and you take your child, and you go to the doctor. And when you go to the doctor, the doctor looks at you, and you're like, my child's sick. I don't know what's wrong. And the doctor looks and says, yeah, your child's doomed. Like, there's no cure. Like, there's nothing that can be done. You need to find a new doctor because if they're using words like doomed, they have no emotional intelligence, right? And so you look at that doctor, and your doctor's like, I mean, you can get a second opinion. You're like, oh, I'm going to. And they're going, but your child is doomed. They literally have no hope. There's nothing that can be done. So you go to the next hospital. In the next hospital, the doctor looks at your child, examines your child, says, oh, my goodness. You know what? There, there's only one cure that I know of, but there's a cure, and this cure is absolutely going to heal your child. You don't care that there's only one, do you? Like, you are elated. You are full of joy. You are celebrating like, oh, my goodness, this is the best news I've ever heard. You know where I'm going with this. Where I'm going with this is I had to resolve this in my heart that when I hear the gospel of Jesus, what I find is the most inclusive message the world has ever heard. And here's why I'm saying that. Maybe this is you, and you need to hear this today. Maybe you're here, and you've said some things. And you're like, I don't know that God could love me because of what I've said. Maybe you've done some things. Maybe you've put some things into your body. Maybe you've, you've lashed out, and you've hurt other people. Maybe you've said some things about God that just you're almost embarrassed by it. You've said those things. Let me be clear. Every single person on the planet can find redemption, can find a right standing with God through faith in Jesus Christ, not because of anything you can do, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. That's the message you need to hear today. Number next, how do I know I'm following the way of Christ? You need to, need to choose the right mentors. Choose the right mentors. Look at verse 15, Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So the identity here of the false prophets is really kept vague. We don't get specific names. We don't even get specific groups at this point. What we do know is we're the sheep, right? Believers are the sheep. And what Jesus says is there are imposters who sneak in to act like sheep, even though they're not. They will come in and act like they're one of us. And what they end up doing is they bring division. They bring discord. They rip a church apart, right? This is what Jesus is talking about. And he says there's a responsibility that you and I have. There's a responsibility to watch those who are leaders, to watch those who are mentors. It's why when I'm interviewing people and talking to them about uh, becoming pastors at the church, I make sure that they understand. Paul says don't presume yourself to be a teacher or a preacher of the law because you're held to a different accountability level. 
which is true. And, and it's right. It's good. Church, I can't, I can't go to the grocery store and act like a crazy man. Because y'all might see me, right? You might, and you're going to tell on me, and I'm going to get in trouble. I can't do that, right? As a, as a pastor, there's a higher expectation for me. I can't go to the grocery store and carry on. I can't, there's just a lot of things I can't do. And when I'm talking to people on a staff team, I tell them the same thing. Like, just so you know, everything you do, and you can't just say when you walk out the door, because isn't it true? We're being watched in our homes as well. Just look at your family. Your family will be the first to remind you of the things you do, of the things you say, right? We're held to a different accountability. And so it's not just me, though, is it? It's just not me that people, people are watching you. You know that. How you do business, how you treat your family, how you treat your neighbor, people are watching you. So we have a responsibility to watch our mentors. We have a responsibility by looking in the mirror, realizing that we're mentoring someone. At least if you're living out the call and the gospel, this is what you're doing. There's someone you're following spiritually, isn't there? When you look at, maybe it's your group leader, maybe it's, it's someone that you've asked, will you mentor me? There are people that you watch in your life who are mentors of yours spiritually. And then look in the mirror, because there are people who are watching you. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a coworker, but there are people watching you. And Jesus is giving this high calling. I like what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. It's kind of bold, isn't it? Like, that's pretty bold to look at someone and say, hey, if you want to live like Jesus, just do what I do. That's a, that's a really bold statement, and yet that's what Paul said. And when he says that, here's what he's saying. He's saying, because when you follow Christ, you're going to have the fruit of the Spirit just oozing from you because that's who Jesus is. The fruit of this, and that's easy to say, but I have a few questions. And as I'm asking these questions, I want you to answer in your head and your heart. I want you to think not only about your mentor in your life, but I want you to think about yourself. And just answer this. Who needs to receive love, like fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, right? That's where I'm going. So who is it in my life that needs to receive my love without me expecting anything in return? You know, if you expect something in return, that's called transaction, isn't it? That's not love. That's a transaction. That's a business deal. I'm going to do something for you. You do something for me. No, love is when you just say, no, I'm just going to do it. Who needs your love where you expect nothing in return? What does that look like today for you? How about joy? What does joy look like in your life? Joy where you say, I've got this stuff going on, and it's not all good, but I have joy. I'm not talking about plastic Christianity. I'm not talking about I'm going to put on a mask and I'm going to smile and I'm going to fake it till I make it and I'm going to make everyone think everything's great, everything's not great, everything's really, really awful. But I'm just, no, I'm talking about joy. Joy is where you say regardless of what the world is throwing at me, regardless of any of that, I choose today to keep my eyes focused on Jesus and there is a hope in my life. And I am not looking back. There is a hope in my life and I'm not taking my eyes off Christ. I'm talking about that kind of joy, church. Where's that joy in your life? How about peace? Peace instead of hostility. I know there are people in this world that hurt you, that wrong you. And I know some of you, you don't like hearing this because I keep bringing it up. But who do you need to pursue peace with? What does that look like where you are the instigator of the peace, even if you were not the instigator of the hostility? What does that look like for you? How about patience? Patience. I, mean, I think... I think we could just look at all of us and say, how about when we get behind the wheel of our car? Like for every single one of us in this room, right? And maybe you're like, no, no, I'm good. As long as that person doesn't act like a knucklehead and cut me off. You know, that's when I'm going to get mad. Like what does patience look like? Or kindness. 
What does kindness look like instead of frustration? Or goodness instead of self-centeredness? Faithfulness instead of temptation? Hmm, sometimes, sometimes doesn't it seem like that temptation is just like a little bitty thing and you can just put it in the box and put it on the shelf and you're like, no, I'm good. I'm not, I'm not tempted at all. That temptation can stay over there. I've got faithfulness to the Lord. But sometimes it seems to grow into a monster, doesn't it? And all of a sudden, that temptation, you're like, I'm, I'm working, Lord, I'm trying, I'm working on this. What does faithfulness look like for you today? How about gentleness? How about gentleness instead of a posture of power? How about self-control instead of self-centeredness? Because this is what Jesus lived on Palm Sunday, isn't it? On Palm Sunday, when Jesus rode on that donkey into the city, there was love. There was love for a people who would turn around and shout crucify him just days later. And yet what we see is we see love. We see joy despite knowing. He would sweat drops of blood, church. In the garden after the Last Supper, he asked Peter, James, and John to pray with him. He wanted so bad. He said, Lord, will you let this cup pass from me? If there's any way other than the cross, knowing what I'm about to go into. And yet he came to this place of saying, not my will, but yours. We see this incredible joy. We see a peace. We see a patience, kindness. He's looking at the disciples. Can you imagine this? Palm Sunday, walking in. He just has days left uh, of life before the crucifixion, just days. He's looking at the disciples after three years, after three years, after he told them to follow me. For three years, they saw him heal the sick, the lame, the blind bring the dead back to life, feed the 5,000, walk on the water. They saw all this. They still didn't get it. Jesus was still patient with them. And can I say he's still incredibly patient with us? Are you kidding me? We have the whole canon. We have 66 books in our Bible, right? We have it all. We have testimony after testimony after testimony of God's goodness and God's grace and God's workings in our lives. And still, we sometimes lose sight of the fact of who he is, don't we? We still lose sight and go off and do our own thing, and yet he's so gentle. He's so self-controlled. I don't know if you had the power over all of heaven, and you were riding into Jerusalem, and you're looking in the faces of the people who would shout crucify him. Do you just ride patiently in on a donkey, or do you bring a hammer from heaven, and do you say, no, we're going to do a redo? We're going to start over. I probably would be the latter. Like, I, I think I would be done at that point, but he showed so much self-control. So how do I know? How do I know that I'm really following Christ? You're going to choose the right mentors. You're going to be the right mentor. Number three, you're going to choose the right definition of righteousness. Look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. See, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name. Do mighty works in your name. And then I will declare, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I, I do think this is one of the most sobering passages in all of Scripture. Because here's, here's what Jesus just said. He just said, there are going to be people who volunteer with kids' ministry. There are going to be people who we celebrate loudly because they're baptized. There's going to be people who hold the doors open for us. There's going to be people who preach. There's going to be people who sing. 
There's going to be people who are great at standing up in front and praying. There's, there's going to be all of these people, and yet when it comes to eternity, Jesus says, I'm going to look at them and say, get away from me. I don't, I don't know who you are. And then there's going to be an argument that takes place. No, 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 but don't you remember? Don't you remember what I did? Don't you remember what I said? Don't you remember the crowds that I gathered? And he's going to say, I never knew you. Get away from me. That burns a little bit, doesn't it? It should. It should burn a little bit. I think this is an area that, um, as, a, as a shepherd, as a pastor, this is the area that uh, causes me as much concern as any. To know that every Sunday we have people sitting here and they miss it. I once heard a pastor say, you've heard me say it, that there's going to be a lot of people who miss heaven by 18 inches. I've never measured, but they say that's the distance between your head and your heart. Now you have to hear to believe, but your faith comes from your heart. 18 inches. I, I wonder, is that 18 inches or is it really just pride? I think it might be pride. I think some of you, you don't go public with a declaration today. You don't throw your hand up and say, I'm placing my faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior today because you're worried about what mom and dad will think because mom and dad already think you're a Christian. You're worried about what your friends will think. You're worried about what your kids will think because you're like, no, we pray at home. We, we give money. We tithe. We do the things we're supposed to. I'm afraid of what those people, some of you are going, I'm afraid of what my pastor will think because I'm in leadership. I serve in this group. I serve on that group. I serve somewhere else. I, I'm kind of afraid of what my pastor would think. If all of a sudden I said, you know what, from today, before today I've been faking it, but today I'm placing my faith in Christ for real. I'm surrendering everything to him. I just challenge you and just say, don't miss this. Don't let your pride, don't let your pride have eternal consequences. This is the place that we have to trust each other. And love each other enough to say, this has nothing to do with what someone else thinks about me. This has everything to do with what my Heavenly Father thinks of me. And I'm not holding on to the pride anymore today. just want to encourage you to let go of that. Finally, the last point today, choose the right foundation. Look at verse 24. Jesus finishes this way. He says, everyone then who hears, I encourage you to underline that or make a mark right there. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall. You see, when you look at both the Hebrew as well as the Greek, when you look at that word hears, there's an implication there. And it says that there's going to be obedience connected. You don't hear unless you do something. You don't hear unless you're obedient. We find that example in the Hebrew in Deuteronomy 28, Joshua 1, Ezekiel 33. In the Greek, you can go to Matthew 12, Romans 2, James 1 and 2. You don't hear unless you're obedient. Any parent can tell you that. Right? I'm not going to name names, but one of my two boys at one point, I'm in the kitchen, I'm doing some stuff. I'm like, hey, need you to take out the trash real quick. And uh, five minutes later, I turn around, the trash is still like overflowing. And so I walk in the living room, probably with dishpan hands at this point, 
I'm like, what, just told you to take out the trash? Why didn't you take out the trash? I'm like, oh, no, I, I, uh, I heard you. I just got to finish this up real fast. Now, my house, I'm like, no, no, you didn't hear me, right? Because if you heard me, if you heard me, whatever you were doing, you would have stopped. And you would have went, and you would have taken out the trash, and you would put a new bag in the trash. That's what it means to hear me. It means you move your tail, and you get the job done. Right? Or maybe it was me when I was a kid who did that. I don't know. Right? But there is this connection, and we know this. Right? We know this to be true. There's a connection between hearing and obedience. And then the context for the rest with the sand and the rock, this needs a little bit of context, but it'll make sense. Especially in the fall, there would be torrential rains that would come. You've seen enough pictures of the Holy Land to know there's a lot of hills in the Holy Land. There's a lot of rocky areas. There's a lot of green shrub type. That's, that's kind of the layout. And so when the rains would come and hit these mountains and hit the hills, it would create these torrential rivers out of nowhere that would just come. And if your house is built on the sandy areas, like it doesn't stand a chance. It's going to rip it apart. I think this picture will help. I am... Um, uh, lived in Tucson for a little bit. And when I moved to Tucson, I thought, well, I'm moving to the desert. And I thought it meant like a sandy area, but it's not. There's mountains all around Tucson. And uh, a lot of green, you can see from the picture. There's, there's trees. There's kind of like trees anyway. There's like shrub-type things. And uh, there's a, uh, in the summer, at the end of summer, there's these monsoons that will come through. Monsoon is a fancy word for rain. They just don't get it any other time of the year. So they had to name when the rains would come, right? And uh, we love the monsoons in Tucson. It's like this awesome thing because you'll see the clouds coming over the mountains, and you know it's coming. And so there will be water. And so when you're in the car, this picture is actually taken from a car. And Tucson, you'll see there's just like, you know, there's a little water going across the road. And normally when you're going across this area, you look to your left, you see this dry, like, riverbed. And you're thinking like, well, I don't know, 100 years ago, there may have been a river that went through there. Yeah, it's not 100 years ago. See, here's what happens. The water comes rushing off of the mountains and off of these high areas into the low areas. And there's a sign right before this area that says, do not enter the water. There's a law in Tucson called the dumb motorist law. <laughs> I'm not making it up. You can Google it. Or maybe stupid motorist law or idiot motorist law. I think it's dumb. I think the word they used is dumb. None of those words are nice. But I think it's the word dumb that they used. And so you're supposed to know, but inevitably someone, probably from the north, they get to this area, and they think, well, I've got me an SUV. And my SUV, if I have six inches of snow, I can just roll right through anything I want. I ain't worried about it. I'm going to put it in four-wheel drive. And that's what they do. And here's the next picture. Yep. <laughs> You'll notice that says Tucson Fire. I am not making this up. Every year, this is what happens. Normally, this is just a dry riverbed area. So the fire trucks come, and they will save your life. They always save your life. Every single time, they'll come and save your life. Uh, the dumb motorist law that says this. Here's what the law says. It says, if you enter the waters because you were dumb and ignored the signs, and there's this all of a sudden rushing torrent of water, it's going to pick your car up and it's going to carry it down through the desert where you don't want to be. And when the fire department comes and saves your life, which you're so good at, you're going to have to pay them the bill. Taxpayers are not going to pay because you were dumb. Like that's, <laughs> that's what the law says. You know, the thing is, though, I think it's possible that some of you kind of feel like the person and that little car right there, right? You're looking and you're thinking, I don't even know how I got here in life. I didn't, I didn't plan to get here. This is not what I planned to do. I thought I was just going to kind of go over that little bump and just keep going. I thought I was just going to splash right through the water and everything was going to be good. But your foundation hasn't been the rock, has it? 
your foundation has been shifting sand, and when you try to go over that, it just takes you somewhere where you don't want to be. I've given quite a few scenarios today. And one thing is clear, the decisions we make have eternal consequences. So I want to end this series the same way we started a few months ago. Just picture Jesus looking straight at you, saying, you, and you, and you. And he looks at the person right next to you, you, and you. I want you to come. I want you to follow me. And he looks at you, and he says, because I believe that you have what it takes. You have what it takes to speak like me, to love like me, to forgive like me. You have what it takes to be me to this world. So come, follow me. I don't know what you've been waiting on, but if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, my encouragement to you is to stop right here, right now, and do that. Let's bow our heads. See, some of you, I think you know that it's almost like the Lord has been calling you your whole life and urging you to this moment, to this place, to this time. I just want to give you the space to pray and to say, God, I believe. I believe that you love me and that you sent Jesus to this earth. Jesus, I believe that you lived a perfect and a sinless life. I believe that you gave your life as a payment for mine, that you were crucified on the cross. I believe that you suffered. I believe that you died. I believe that you were placed in a tomb. But I also believe that on the third day you conquered death, that you are a risen Savior. And I am placing my faith and my hope and my trust in that truth. I am not placing my trust in the shifting sands of life anymore. I am placing my trust in you. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for saving me. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Lord, I praise you. Thank you for today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand as we finish and worship together.